Um, today's reading is Psalm 119, 65 to 72. If you'd like to follow along on your, in your pew Bible, it's page 513. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is, feeling, is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, it's really good to see you all and really good to be here this morning. Uh, and so I want to start by saying this, that I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of great preachers that have stood in this pulpit, you know, uh, and I'm very humbled to be here today. And uh, I'm truly humbled to share the pulpit with uh, these men because, uh, and, and the elders of this church because they have faithfully preached the word of God and they love you all and they pray for you all uh, constantly and consistently. Um, that, that, that's wonderful. And, but most importantly, I'm truly humbled to be able to proclaim the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord. Uh, so, uh, I'd like to just pray uh, before we go into the scriptures. All right, so, oh Father, help us to understand you. And I ask that you open up the eyes of our hearts and fill us with all spiritual wisdom and insight so that we can bear fruit and be strengthened to endure as we increase and grow in the grace and knowledge of your most blessed and beautiful son, Christ Jesus who is our mediator and great high priest, the prophet and king of the universe, and it is by the Spirit through the Son I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, brothers and sisters, there are times in our walks and in our lives when our fellowship with God seems sweet. You know, it seems like we're very close to Jesus. Our communion with him is sweet. Uh, everything seems to be going well as it should be going in the world. Uh, and when that is the case, it may seem as if nothing can stop our fellowship with the Lord. It may seem like we're right in the middle of God's will. However, if you've been walking with the Lord longer than two seconds or, or <laughs> longer than a month, you know that sometimes uh, the walk doesn't feel like a sprint. It doesn't even feel like a marathon. As you find out, the walk is much like a slow crawl into godliness. There's days where we seem to go two steps forward and two steps back uh, as we're pursuing God. You know, the communion may not feel as sweet as it once did. Uh, and you may even feel like Job felt and want to reach out to God and, and say, like, look, like, the world is against me. Everyone is against me. I need to hear from the Lord. In these times, you may even feel like, and if you're going through it now, you may even feel like this right now, that it's not God's will that I'm going through. Like, I may be outside of God's will. Uh, brothers and sisters, when we feel like that, what do we do? What can we do? What do you do uh, when you are dealing with sickness, that of your own or that of a loved one? What do you do when the things in this world are not going the way you hope for or dream for or even plan for? Uh, what do you do when you face times of disappointment and setbacks? 
What can you do when, uh, or, or what do you do when we experience death in the family? Or that tough decision that you have to make? Or the tough decision that you've been putting off for a long time uh, as well? Where can we go in a world with so much chaos, with so much confusion, with so much death, dying, and destruction? Who can we cling to? I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that we can go to and cling to every single word of God Almighty. Why? Why? Because in his word, this is where the Holy Spirit, who gave these words to the men who wrote Scripture, you know, uses those same words, those same very words, to change our hearts and to transform our hearts as the children of God to help us to be more and more like Jesus. And he uses those hardships so that we can be more like him. And he guides us through these hardships so that he can transform us and help us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus and be changed into the image of his son. He will use his word to comfort us, and he will use his word to keep us. One of the main things that he reveals to us in his word is, are, are, are his attributes. And his attributes can help us to better understand him. His attributes can help us to better understand his purpose and his will for our lives. And given uh, uh, all of our situations, he can help us to even understand our situations and our circumstances that we're going through. Uh, as we study the person and work of God, our great God, we become more attracted to him as the object of our faith, which helps us to want to know him more and want to help, him to help us to see him rightly and also help us to face our hardships through the lens of faith. See, we become like the moon, right, you know, that reflects the radiance of the sun the more we get closer and closer to the Lord. In the study of God, these are the attributes, and these attributes uh, are known as incommunicable, uh, incommunicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes, or otherwise known as power attributes, are those that God has with himself, and he doesn't share with anybody, right? You know, but the communicable attributes are these. These are the ones that are known as the moral, the ethical attributes. The communicable attributes are the ones that stem from his being, and he shares with us. He shares with his creation. And in Psalm 119, we find one of those attributes that, are, that many call the goodness of God. And so, the thematic question that I'd like for us to consider, brothers and sisters, today is this. How can the goodness of God help me in my trials and in my deep time of need? How can the goodness of God help me in my trials and in my deep time of need? And I believe that Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72 can help us with this. So, uh, this is how we're going to do it today. We're going to unpack and consider the goodness of God, Lord willing, in three ways. First, uh, by asking the question, what is Psalm 119? Secondly, uh, the goodness, we're going to see the goodness of God in Psalm 119 verses uh, 65 to 72. And third, we will see the goodness of God displayed to uh, his people, animals, uh, and the reprobate. So we're going to ask the question, what is Psalm 119? We're going to see the goodness of God in Psalm 119, verses uh, 65 to 72. And then we're going to see the goodness of God displayed to his people, to animals, and to the reprobate. So, well, what is Psalm 119? See, I like to call it a mega psalm. You know, uh, I like what Doc, Dr. Steve Lawson says. He says this is the Mount Everest of the psalms here. You know, Psalm 119 gets these names because it comes in as a heavyweight psalm. It weighs 176 verses of pounds right there. This is a meaty psalm. This is a big psalm, y'all, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, this psalm is even bigger than most books of the Bible that we have uh, in, in, in the Word of God. I love what Spurgeon says here. He says, this psalm shines and shows itself among the rest 
a star in the firmament of the, of the Psalms, of the first and greatest magnitude. I just want to say that if you're looking for a devotional, uh, uh, I suggest Psalm 119 because, look, like, it takes about 15 to 16 minutes to read through. Uh, and if, if you're trying to find something to read, this is perfect. This is good. You know, try reading it for a month, like every, every morning for a month. I used to do it my, my wife and I, we were house parents. I used to do it uh, five to six months, uh, and it really helped me in my walk. Just read it every morning, you know. Uh, and on Psalm 119 being a devotion, Matthew Henry says this. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He's speaking about his father uh, the death, after the death of his father, and Henry's father said this. Press, he was trying to press the study uh, of Scripture by advising us to take a verse of this psalm every morning to meditate upon. And so go over the psalm twice in a year. Then he goes on to say, God will bring you to be in love with all the rest of the scriptures. All grace grows as love to the word of God grows. That's beautiful. I love that. You know, um, Psalm 119, like Psalm 1 and Psalm 19 are known as Torah wisdom psalms because they all point to God's word, his Torah. That is his, his instructions, you know, which is the only way to wisdom. Because it is in the wisdom of God that he draws us to himself. Because as you know, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 24, and also verse 30, it speaks about Christ as being both the power and wisdom of God. You know? And what happens here is that like, in God's wisdom, he also gives us skills for how to live uh, in this world that he made. Even for some of us in this room who may be going through the toughest trials in our life right now, see, James, later on in the Bible, he says that when we uh, are going through our trials, we could go to God and ask him for wisdom. Why? Because he gives wisdom to us. And this is one of these types of psalms where he gives us wisdom. See, Psalm 119, just like Psalm 119, also asks questions about the law, the Word of God, and speak to the power and the effect of the Word of God on creation, but also in the servant of God, but also with the people of God collectively together. Psalm 119 helps us to answer the major thematic question of the Psalter, right? And this is one of those questions that we have in the Psalter. Who can dwell in the Lord's holy tent? Who can dwell with God? And we see that in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. And what I love about this is it is those who follow the Lord's anointed, those who follow the Lord's Messiah, and to love God's Torah and keep his word in their hearts as they ascend to Zion to worship the Lord. Notice that, notice like when, when in your Bibles, when you, when you read Psalm 119, what comes after, what, what comes after that? It's known as the Songs of Ascent. Uh, Psalms 120 to 134, these are the songs that they would have been saying as they're singing, as they're going up to, the, uh, to Zion to sing the word, to, to hear the word of the Lord, to sing the word of the Lord. And what's amazing about this is that like when they are going to the tent of God, they have these songs in their heart. And they also have the, God's word in their heart as well too. Jesus, because of his blood, ransomed us and now makes us worthy to go into the tent. He makes us worthy uh, to go into the presence of God. Jesus is the only true worshiper of God. Uh, and based on uh, Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus, as the true worshiper, worship leader, he's not ashamed to call you and our brothers and sisters. Right? I love that. This, he, he's the one who leads the congregation of the redeemed up to Zion. Uh, and, and he does so in singing praises to our God. He helps us to sing praises to our God. These praises are from the redeemed hearts, and they are filled with God's word, and the songs are filled with the word of God in them. I love that. And see, this is what Psalm 118 is, one of the, one of the many worship songs of the Lord Jesus. This is uh, God's, God's uh, uh, worship <laughs> song right here, you know, Lord, the Lord Jesus worship song. In addition, being known as uh, a Torah psalm, 
Psalm 119 is known as an acrostic psalm here, right? So an acrostic psalm is one that, is, that follows the Hebrew alphabet, which has 22 letters. See, uh, there are 22 stanzas, and each of these 22 stanzas have eight lines, and, which are the eight verses that we find in, 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 in all, all throughout uh, Psalm 119. Uh, Johannes Paulus uh, calls this psalm the alphabet of divine love. Uh, he says the par- this is also the paradise of all doctrine, the storehouse of the Holy Spirit, and the school of truth. It, uh, it is uh, words like these that point to the fact that many parents have used this psalm, you know, as a primer for their children, you know. Uh, and so that's because these 22 stanzas function like the A to Z or the, uh, the Aleph to, uh, the Ta or the uh, Alpha and Omega Like, this is the ABCs on godly living and how to live for God. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. This is the A to Z hymnal of of King Jesus right here. That's what Psalm 119 is, y'all. And so, with that brief understanding of Psalm 119, I'd like for us to consider uh, together the goodness of God in Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. See, Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72, is the tenth stanza, uh, and this tenth stanza is named after the tenth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and that tenth letter is Teth. Uh, and in Hebrew, these verses all begin with the letter T. So if you read it in Hebrew, if you know Hebrew, they will start with the letter T, right? <laughs> so uh, we see this in some of our translations, which try to carry over this same idea, uh, uh, with, starting with the letter T. So, for example, if we have any of our King James people up in here, you'll see that like six times we'll see the letter T uh, in, uh, in these eight verses. So, for example, in verse 65, it says, Thou has dealt well. Uh, uh, verse, 67, verse 66, teach me. Uh, verse 68, thou art. Uh, verse 69, the proud. Okay? And verse 70, their heart. And then verse 72, the law. So, so we, 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 we see that in, um, in the King James Version. But most importantly, this stanza and each verse in the stanza speaks to the goodness of God uh, in the life of the believer and in our lives as well too. This understanding of the goodness of God stems from the all-sufficient, almighty one God himself, but also from the heart of the one who's devoted to the Lord. That's, uh, that's what it speaks of, devoted to the Word of God as a sufficient Word of God in every area of the life of the follower and worshiper of God. And my prayer is that this becomes true for each and every single one of us in this room today. You know, that this comes from our hearts, and it bleeds out of our hearts. See, in these verses, we see the benefits of the Word of God in the life of the believer. And I want for you to pay attention and take note of the fact that out of the eight lines in this stanza, the word for good appears five times uh, in this, in, uh, in, in, in what we have here today. So, for example, verse 65, it reads, you have dealt well with your servant. The word well is the same Hebrew word for good, you know, and it literally reads, good you have dealt with your servant according to your word. See, what the psalmist is saying here is that he thinks about how the Lord, uh, the Lord's way has been towards him and how the Lord uh, has been towards him throughout his whole life. He looks back and sees it like the Lord has been good to me through my whole life. He's been good in every single way. And the psalmist can say that, that the Lord is good and he has acted in a, in a way that shows that he is good to him in every area of his life, every single part of his life. That's why he says that. See, the rest of the following uh, seven verses explain how God's goodness has been demonstrated to him in his life. One way that you and I can uh, see, see this, one way that you and I can do this, this is the practical way that you and I can really take this verse and do it today, right? 
we could keep records of how God, how God has been good to us. We could do so through uh, journaling. You know, we could do so through taking notes, you know, on our phones or whatever. Uh, we could do so by talking to a brother or a sister or reaching out to a mentor. We could talk to all of them about the goodness of God and how he has demonstrated his goodness to us. And this is exactly what the psalmist is doing right here. See, the second time we see the word good uh, is in verse 66, which says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. And one of the ways that the Lord demonstrates his goodness to uh, the psalmist and also to you and I, brothers and sisters, is that he teaches us good judgment and knowledge. This is why David, over and over again in the Psalter, if you look at it over and over again, uh, he asked the Lord to teach him. So, for example, in Psalm uh, 25, verse 4, listen to what David says. He says, make me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. That's in Psalm 25, verse 4. But also, here it is. He says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Uh, but listen to what he says here. He says, let, not, uh, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And that's in Psalm 40, 143, verse 10. Notice that he says, let your good spirit teach me and lead me on level ground here. The Lord's response uh, to David and to you and our brothers and sisters is this. He says that he will instruct you and teach you in the way that we should go. The Lord says to all of us in here, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This is what the Lord means, uh, th this is what it means for God to teach good judgment and knowledge uh, to his servants. And the question is, is that your heart's desire? Is your heart desire to be taught by the Lord Jesus and to be taught in the community of saints about the goodness of God and how that goodness can overflow in your everyday life? You know, verse 68, the third time, says, you are good and do good. And because God is good, the psalmist asked that, that, that God teach him his statutes. The verse literally reads this. I love this. It says, good you are and good you do. You know, this is amazing because this is good to hear because in our trials, brothers and sisters, in our, in our trials and whatever we're going through, even right now, God can teach us his statutes and to help us uh, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the call. See, this also goes, this also is good because it tells us straight up that the reason why God does good is because he is good, right? You know, like it says that right there. Verse 71 says, uh, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Now, whoa, 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 pause for a minute. I was with the psalmist for a moment, right? Like, good this, good that, but what are you talking about? I was trekking with him for a moment, but when he says uh, that it was good that he was afflicted, like, Why? Why is it good that the psalmist is saying that it was good that he was afflicted? Why is it good for you and I to be afflicted? Why? See, I want to keep it real for y'all for a second. I don't think about affliction in that type of way. And if you are like me, which we all are like one another because we're all part of Adam's family, right? You know, we don't see affliction that type of way, right? We don't see affliction like that. We see affliction as like, this is something in my way. I can't wait for it to get out of my way, right? You know, but I want you to remember, remember this, right in verse 67. Look at what he says here right in verse 67. The psalmist said that before he was afflicted, he went astray. Now he keeps God's word, you know. So why was it good that he was afflicted? To bring him back from straying so that he might learn the Lord's statutes. That's amazing, y'all, right? Check this out, y'all. The word of God is good in our lives for us to keep, to keep us from going astray. But let's keep it real. Sometimes we do go astray, right? You know? But what is the purpose of God's word in our lives? So that he can bring us back from going astray. See, 
When I think about that, it brings me to tears sometimes, y'all. You know, because like, I know there was times in my life, and there's times in my life where I went astray. But every single time, the Lord has brought me back through his word. And he could do the same for you as, uh, uh, here today as well, too. He could bring you back through his word. See, in my afflictions, I love to think about Psalm 34, verse 19. That, and it comforts me because it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of all of them, out of every single one of them. That's what he does. You know, in the goodness of God, brothers and sisters, he delivers us from all of our afflictions. And he teaches us his statutes and he leads us in and through our many afflictions. And think about whatever affliction you may be going through. The Lord leads you through those afflictions so that he can teach you something about himself. See, he doesn't cast us off. He doesn't cast us off when we're going through our afflictions. He doesn't just throw us uh, to the side. See, this is what he does. Psalm 56, verse 8 says this. He keeps count of our tossings. Think about this. He keeps count of our tossings, and he puts our tears in the bottle. Are they not written in his book, brothers and sisters? Are they not written in his book? Every single tossing, every single tear that we have, he knows them, and he knows them well. You know, and he, he, he like, like, because he's good like that, that's why he knows them. And what's keeping you up at night? See, there's things that keep us up at night, right? What keeps you crying at night sometimes? Whatever it is, I want you to know that we have a good father, and he knows it, and he keeps record of it. It may not seem like it's good, like, well, you know what's going on with me. Why don't you help me? He keeps a record of it, and he helps us to know him all the more. And sometimes he even uses those trials, right, to help us to know him more so that we, we can look back, we can say, like, you were really good to me. Right? The last place where we see the word for good is in verse 72, where the psalmist says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The Hebrew word for, for better is the same word for good. Again, this is where we see this. This verse is saying that the instruction of the Lord, which comes from the mouth of the Lord, is good to me and better to me than a million bucks. Right? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Better to me than a million bucks? Now, uh, if you all been paying attention to the news, right, you know, the last few weeks and stuff, you know, the, 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 uh, the lottery has been going up. It went from like, I guess, five mil, you know, now up to like a billion dollars. Unless somebody won it already, I don't know, right, you know. Um, and I don't want to, uh, like, I think there's a picture of this, but, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to use this picture to cause anybody to stumble after leaving here, like make a beeline towards Wawa to get a ticket, right, you know. Like, like so the thing is this. Uh, I, can see, I can see it now. My wife, right? <laughs> My wife and I, we talk about this a lot. Like, we calculate certain things. Well, she calculates more than I do, you know. Uh, and sometimes you add up in your mind, like, well, okay, well, if I use this money for that, and I use this money for this, then maybe I can, you know, make finagle this and happen, whatever and stuff, right? You know, but the truth of the matter is this. And money may not be a struggle for you. You know, it may not be. Uh, but the question is this. Do you feel that way about the Word of God, right? You know, do you feel that way about God's Word? Is this Word better than you than winning, winning billions of bucks? And, you know, someone could be honest, right, uh, and, and really say, to like, you know, if you're in your heart, you can say, like, I don't view God's Word that way sometimes. I don't, you know? See, I don't view God's Word better than a billion bucks. And at times... I'm talking about myself here. I struggle with this too, but I have to find ways to make God's Word a priority. And I just want to give you four ways that I've, that, that I've tried to make God's Word a priority, and I hope this is encouraging to you. First, Bible reading plan, right? A Bible reading plan is, is a good way to start. 
You know, a Bible reading plan, that of your own or that of one that you're following, whatever. A Bible reading plan can help you prioritize God's word in your life. Second, read the Bible with a brother or sister or with a spouse, right? You know, in a, in, in a small group, whatever you, you, you do to, to, to help you to uh, cultivate this in your life. Uh, have a daily schedule uh, and a routine, right? A daily schedule and a routine. And yo, I want to tell you, if you miss that, if you miss one day or a few days, don't beat yourself up because that's what we do, right? Oh, I missed it. So therefore, I'm not going to read it no more. No. Pick up the Word of God and continue where you left off, all right? You know, and pray as you read His Word. Actually, pray His Word too, you know? And I'm telling you that like when you cultivate these things in your life, this makes God's Word much more uh, lively than you than winning a million bucks. See, now it's stated earlier, like I said, uh, the Hebrew word for good shows up five times uh, in these verses. But what I really want us to understand is like, what does good and what does goodness mean? Like, what does it really mean? Okay? You know, the word uh, is pronounced uh, tov or tuv, tuve. Uh, this word means to be good, be pleasing, be joyful. Uh, be beneficial, be pleasant, be favorable, be happy, be right, you know? It also has the idea of being delightful, to be glad, to be better, to be well with, or be well, or it also has with it the fact that, like, of being right and rightly, uh, uh, un- like, doing things in the right way. And this connects to the idea of being righteous. So you see goodness and righteousness go together, you know? In speaking about uh, good, I love what John Frame says here. He says, good is, first of all, a general term of commendation. We describe uh, as good any kind of excellence, including beauty, uh, economic value, practical usefulness, uh, skillfulness, indeed anything that invokes from us a favorable response. See, Frame goes on to say that in theology, we tend to focus on moral goodness, uh, but there are many other kinds of goodness as well. So, for example, right, you know, uh, if we have a plumber, a plumber comes to your house, he could be a good plumber, you know, or we have a, a, a barber that's a good barber. They, they, you know, the plumber or the barber may not be a one that is uh, necessarily morally good, but they show that they do a good job in what they do, right? So this is what Frame is coming at uh, here when he speaks about this. Frame continues to say that in a broad sense, goodness is conduct that measures up to God's standard. And that conduct is done by either humans or by God, and it meets a certain standard of, of, of goodness. And God is that standard of goodness. You know, I love what Lawson, Stephen Lawson says here, and he adds to this understanding of this word. He says that it carries the idea of his abundant kindness and benevolence. His goodness uh, is his charitable disposition to be generous to his creatures. It speaks to the graciousness of God and his dealing mercifully with us. So, and the truth, like, like when we stop, stop and think about this, this, this definition, like, we really can ask ourselves, like, have we ever been recipients of this goodness from God? You know, has, like, has he been that generously good to you? And the answer is, yes, he has, you know? Um, and notice, Lost's definition, he connects good with God here, and rightly so. See, this is dealing with the Lord's moral excellence here. And, and he is abundant in being good because that's who he is. For example, if you look at Psalm uh, 25, verse 8, uh, you would notice that it says, good and upright is the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. The question that we need to ask ourselves is this, like, how is the Lord uh, good and upright? And what does he do to show off that goodness and uprightness to us? Well, brothers and sisters, this is what he does, right? 
The rest of the verse going into verse 9 tells us, therefore, meaning that uh, because he is good and upright, the effect of his goodness and uprightness is that he instructs sinners in the way. That's what he does. See, the root cause of his goodness, check this, y'all, the root cause of the goodness of the Lord's instructions of sinners is that he is good, right? So what kind of sinners? Verse 9 tells us, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. A humble sinner is one who went astray and who the Lord brings back to his word. He is good and upright. And I just want you to listen to what, the, what, uh, what God says here uh, through Isaiah in Isaiah 57, uh, verses 15 to 16. Uh, Isaiah says this, For thus saith the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell uh, in a high and holy place. And also with him or her uh, who, is a, who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Now, if you connect it with, with, with Isaiah 66 verse 2, he tells us what that is. A humble and contrite person who trembles at his word, you know. And what does he do? He does this to revive the spirit of the lowly uh, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. And praise God, right, that he isn't. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. So this is amazing right here, that what God is saying about what he does. Has, like, like, like has God, when you think about your life, has God ever, ever instructed you and called you back to lead you in his ways? You know, has he ever let you know that he is near you when your heart is broken? Has he ever let you know that when your heart is shattered in many pieces, that he is with you? Has he ever caused you, has he ever saved you, uh, 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 like, like has, has he ever worked in your life to save you when your spirit is crushed? You know, when you hear bad news or heartache, is he there for you? And if you're saying yes in your mind, if you're saying yes in your heart, that's because he has shown his goodness to us. That's why. You know, and it's because you have experienced this goodness as well, too. See, the fact that God brings back stray sinners and teaches them his way is connected with Psalm, uh, the Psalms that we're looking at. Because both Psalm 25 verse 8 and also uh, 119 verse 68 speak about the fact that good comes from God. It comes from him. Again, they say, you are good. And again, notice it says, good and upright is the Lord. It comes from him. And see, we've all experienced this goodness. And some of us may be even experiencing this goodness right now. And I just want to add this. When the Bible speaks about the isness of God and says, God, you are this, or God, you are that, or God does this and God is that, you know, this, this is related to the verb to be. And this is amazing here because it's connected to the, the, the I am, Yahweh. It's connected to God being the one who is self-existent, the one who always is, whenever, there never was a time when he was not. You know, this is connected to this God that we're talking about. And we learn about who he is, and he reveals things about himself and the essence of his being to us, you know? And in other words, this speaks to who God is and how he is towards all of us in here. Therefore, saying that he is good points to the fact that pure goodness stems from his being. Pure goodness comes from who he is, you know? He is therefore the most absolute, most purest, most goodest, if that's even a word, right? You know, <laughs> being in the entire universe. So Santa Claus, that ain't you, homie, right? You know? This is God we're talking about here. You know, see, brothers and sisters, this is why William Tyndale says this. I love what William Tyndale says. He says, God's goodness is the root of all goodness, of all goodness. And if we have any goodness, if we have any, it springs from him being good. 
Isn't that encouraging, right? That's so encouraging that, like, if there's any goodness in me, it's because God has worked that in my life and is continuing to work that goodness in my life. You know, I pray that it fills your hearts to run towards him, to cling towards him. Whenever you feel like, yo, there's nothing that I can do in my life, but I need him, right? And he will be there with you. He will help you. My bad, y'all. <laughs> like, so he is the most supreme one. He's the most lovely one. And he helps us. See, friends, goodness is intrinsic to his nature. And goodness eternally derives from him. We don't give him things that make him good. He's always, will, always is good, always will be good. He never needed to make a thing in this world because he has always been good. But yet still he shows off his goodness in that kind of way. See, we cannot appease him to make him good because like all of his attributes, they are with him eternally. And he has them perfectly in the triune community that, that he has with himself. He completely is all self-sufficient in his goodness. And one of the other ways that he shows off his goodness is in the person and work of the Lord Jesus, right? The second person of the Godhead, he put on human flesh, right? That's a good thing that he did so. Secondly, not only that, but living a perfectly righteous life that met the perfect requirements of the law, not for him, but for us. That's good. You know, um, and, and, and when you read through Psalm 119, sometimes you hear this in verse 5. It says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. See, the psalmist knows it like, yo, this song, like, I can't keep these perfectly. But we have one who kept them perfectly, the Lord Jesus, in our place. Not only that, but the fact that Christ died for the ungodly. Check this out, y'all. While we were sinners, his enemies, while we, were hated, while we hated him, he died for us. While we were dead in sin, comatose, dead in our sins, doing evil and wicked deeds, as Paul talks about. God made us alive in him. That's good. You know, and now he enables us to actually want to love and care about the things that he cares about. He, enables, he gives us the ability to want to do his commands. That's what he does. And that's good. Because I know one time in my life I didn't care about doing that. But now I do. It's only because God is good to me, and good to you all as well too, you know. But not only that, we also see the goodness of God deriving from uh, the, the creation week. Think about this, y'all. We all know the creation week. God makes things. He calls things to his existence, and the thing that he says to be becomes, right? It just comes. But notice this. At the end of every single day, what does God say? What does he say, y'all? It is good. Then on the sixth day, what does he say? It is very good, right? Like, like that's amazing. They're like, Everything that he makes come from him. The reason that, he's, that he says it is good is not because there's some inherent goodness in the thing that he made. No, it's because he is good. Revelation 4, 11 says this. He created all things, and by his will they existed and were created. It comes from him. Listen, everything that he created was good because his goodness caused it to be. And not only did it cause it to be, but his goodness still sustains it to be. See, the word good actually is derived from the German word for God, right? Like, like that, that, that's where it comes from. Uh, the Greek theologian Louis Burkhoff says uh, about God, he calls him the fons omni bonorum. You know, uh, the Latin phrase simply means that God is the fountain of all good. This simply means that goodness is from God because he is good. Burkhoff can say that because of what Psalm uh, 36 verse 9 says. It says, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. 
Brokoff says elsewhere that since God is good in himself, he also is good for his creatures. The goodness of God is like an inexhaustible fountain. This is why so many theologians call God the summum bonum, which means that he is the highest good for all and towards all of his creation. Now, see, I know, right? Sometimes you may be sitting in a sermon and you got these pastors throwing around uh, 50 cent words, right? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, and it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, uh, what does that mean? And honestly, that's just for you guys with the uh, theology school or whatever. What does it have to do with my regular nine to five, right? You know, what does it have to do with uh, all the things that I got going on in my life? That may be good for you to pass a seminary test or whatever, but like, what does that have to do? And I'm telling you, that's the wrong way to think about this because the question for you and I is this, is he the highest good in your life? Is he the highest good in all of our lives? Is he like that? You know, and how does he display that how do we display that he's the highest good in our lives? Do we display that? Do you display that? You know, when in trials, when in plenty, do you display that he's the highest good in your life? See, this is much more than just some seminary test, right? This is something that goes deep down in our bones, deep into our stomachs. This should be part of our everyday life right here. You know, the question, is he the highest good, goes beyond a doctrine course. It goes beyond going to Bible school. You know, It goes to that immaterial part that nobody sees but God, deep down inside of us. This is why John Calvin says that the doctrine herein contained in these verses is not only set down for uh, for great clerics which have gone to school for 10 to 20 years, but it is for the most simple to the end, none should pretend uh, any excuse of ignorance. I love that quote here. In other words, if God is the highest good in my life, like this truth should govern how I order my week, right? This truth should govern uh, how I live and how I do my job. This truth should govern how I am towards the opposite sex. This truth should govern what I spend my time doing. If God is the highest good, this truth should govern who I hang with and who I don't hang with. You know, if God is the highest good in my life, this should affect my Wednesdays. All right, we know what Wednesdays like. You know, I can't wait till the weekend. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like this should affect my Wednesdays. This should affect when I'm feeling tired and looking forward to the weekend. If God is the highest good in my life, this should affect how I speak to my spouse, you know, or, how, or if you have kids, how you speak to your kids. And Lord help us, right? <laughs> you know, uh, again, this is why Psalm 119 verse 68 says you are good and do good because he demonstrates it in a universal way. And he wants us to be affected in our, in, uh, in, in our lives. Also, it is important to note that when the Bible calls God the fountain of life and says that in your light do we see light, this is again a reference to the goodness of God. So, for example, in 1 John 1, 5, it says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, And John goes on to make a distinction between walking in darkness and walking in light, uh, as he is in the light, which is another way of speaking about someone practicing and walking in truth. We we know this about the truth, beauty, and goodness of God. This is where this all comes from right here. You know, James 1, 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fathers of lights with whom there's no variation of shadow due to change. So notice this here. Notice what's going on here. It is God the Father who is the Father of lights. God the Father is the Father of lights, you know. And it is he who gives every good and every uh, perfect gift, thus connecting light and good together. Y'all, do y'all see that? Like, he gives good gifts and he is light, connecting it together. He is in, a, in, a, he's in unapproachable light and he has no darkness in him at all and no variation or shadow due to change. 
Now see, check this out, y'all. Darkness and shadow due to change will hint that there's something bad in God. And I've heard, whenever I go out to witness to people sometimes, I've heard people say, well, the world is the way it is. It must be something about God because it must show us something about God. No, 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 right? Like, 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 there's no darkness in him at all. None, you know? So what does this tell us about the goodness of God? This tells us, y'all, that he is eternally and immutably the same. And he is good all the time in everything he does. Every single thing that he does demonstrates his goodness. In other words, his goodness lasts forever, and it never changes. His goodness does not change because it stems from his being, as we've been trying to uh, understand here. And see, y'all, this is good news for us because if God's goodness changed, we would be in a world of hurt. We would be in trouble, right? We would be in a world of hurt if his, uh, if his goodness changed in a millisecond, right? <laughs> you know, could you imagine the father and son saying to us, you know, I saved you from your sins, but it's like, nah, like, you know, uh, the, you, know uh, you got to save yourself tomorrow. Could you imagine if God said that to us? Or uh, I saved you by grace, but that grace was only good for yesterday or for last year. Now you got to work your way towards me. See, that's not what God says to us, right? He doesn't say that to us. You know, but praise God, he doesn't, he doesn't change. He doesn't change at all. Those words that I just said are from our flesh and sometimes from the devil and sometimes just from this world. But what the Bible tells us is that, like, no one can pluck us out of his hands. No one can pluck us out. Not a single one. Not even ourselves if we wanted to, right? No one can. The Bible says, great is his faithfulness. The Bible says, for as high as the heavens are above, so great is his love towards us. You know, for uh, his mercies are new every single morning. See, that's good. And all, and all those products are byproducts of what it means to have the goodness of God in our lives. He forgives all of our iniquities, right? Uh, he heals all of our diseases. Uh, he redeems our lives from the pit. He also crowns us with steadfast mercy. That's what he does. You know, he is slow to anger in our lives. You know, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And he shows us compassion. He shows it to us. He does that. Again, benefits of the ongoing, unchanging goodness of God in our lives. That's what this is. You know, and as we continue to grow in, 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 uh, in this, Psalm 19, uh, 130 says this, the unfolding of your word is truth. And it helps us to uh, walk in the light. That is, as we continue to walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will see more of his goodness, more of his goodness, and be able to understand his goodness and can say like David in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life because we are walking in truth and in his light, seeing more light and goodness as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's what's happening here, you know. And in light of this, we will be able not only to say what David takes to see that the Lord is good, but we will actually be able to say, we will really actually be able to say that and really mean it, that like the Lord is good because we tasted and seen it. So, this is kind of like a question that I have, and an application question that I have for us. When was the last time, when was the last time you could say that you tasted and have seen the goodness of the Lord in your life? Like, when was the last time? And if you're having a hard time answering that question, what are some things that may be hindering uh, you seeing the goodness of God like this? And if this is a brother or sister in your life that you could talk to, I would encourage you to go talk to them to help you to, to see him rightly like this, you know? Um, and so, not only do we see uh, this in Psalm 119, verses 65 and following as we've been looking at, uh, but we also see that God provides for uh, his, his people, he also provides for animals and also provides for the reprobate. So we're going to breeze through this, Lord willing, real fast, all right? So, okay. <laughs> so, in his goodness, God provides for the needs 
of his people, okay? He really does. Think about this. I mean, think about Israel when they left Egypt, right? You know, they left Egypt, and what did the Lord do? He provided for them. He provided for them uh, uh, food. He provided for them manna, and he provided for them water from the rock, you know? And if we think about this in our own lives, I mean, like, like what, what I've been trying to show here is that, like, he provides for us in everything that we need. But also, not only does he provide for his people, but the Lord in his goodness provides for the needs of the animals. Now, check this out, y'all. This is amazing right here. Uh, when God questions Job, uh, he asks him a very interesting question here. So in Job 38, verses 39 to 41, the Lord asked Job if he could hunt the prey uh, for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their thicket. Uh, who provides for the raven and uh, its nourishment or prey when it's young, one cries to God for help and wander about for lack of food. So naturally, right, Job doesn't have an answer to this. He's like, blah, 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 right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't have an answer to this, right? You know, because the answer is obvious. No one, none of us can provide for the animals like that. I mean, maybe for like our little dogs or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, right? But we can't do that the way the Lord is doing. Matter of fact, the Lord says this in uh, Psalm 147, verse uh, 9. God says that he gives the beast its food and the young raven which cries. This is what the Lord does, right? Psalm 104 is a towering psalm that speaks about this providential care over all the, uh, over all the animal kingdom, uh, and it speaks about his majestic and wise goodness. And speak what it says here. For example, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable, living things both small and great. There goes the ship and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. But it goes on to say this, and I love this. They all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you, give, when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied and filled with good. Do y'all see that? The goodness of God does this for the animals. Notice that it is from the good hand that the animals are satisfied and filled with good. You know, and check it. Even if some unbelieving atheist works at a pet smart or whatever, and they're feeding an animal, guess who the Lord is using to feed that animal? That unbelieving atheist. The Lord is good like that. He's amazing like that. He's wise like that. He could use whatever to accomplish his good will and purpose. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount speaks about not being anxious about your life. Now, yo, on the real, like, there, there's many things that we can be anxious about, right? You know, like, like, I mean, like, some of you under the sound of my voice may have many things after you leave here that you're not even looking forward to doing because you're anxious about the things that's related to it. But check it out, y'all. We can hear this from God, and especially in our trials, and I hope that this encourages you. We can hear the word of the Lord through the Holy Spirit speaking to us right now. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather in barns. Now, the question I have for you all is this. Like, when was the last time you saw a bird on a John Deere tractor getting his food? Never, right? You know? Or when was the last time when you went to Giant across the street, around the corner, when you saw a sparrow walking in the produce line, picking up his food? Never, right? Why? Because God provides for that sparrow. That's why. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father feeds them. And why does he do this? Because he is good and does and, and, and he does this uh, to the birds of the air. And this is the question that Jesus asked, and we need to know this in our hearts. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not more valuable than they? 
Some of us today need to hear this question because we are anxious and worried about everything. We're worried about bills, worried about gas, right? Worried about like, yo, like, am I going to have enough money to go on that vacation? Or do we have to cancel that vacation or not, right? You know, like some of us are worried about that. And many other times, uh, many other things that are related to this. But Jesus, can, can, but Jesus asked this, can any of us add an hour to our lives by worrying? No. Listen, if he cares about the birds, y'all, if he cares about the birds, he cares about each and every single one of us in here. I love this quote from Lawson. God showers his benevolence on the birds in the air, the fish in the sea, and the creatures of the earth. Likewise, God cares for those made in his own image. This is why Jesus says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? See, and we have to constantly rehearse this over and over again because we are prone to forget this stuff. We have to constantly put this in our minds, put this in our hearts, read it over and over again, and tell, tell ourselves this over and over again because tomorrow, at this time tomorrow, we may be worrying like, yo, what am I going to do? We have to do this all the time. You know, our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters, knows exactly what we need. And this is why we shouldn't worry, but instead seek the kingdom of God and continue to seek the kingdom of God and continue to seek it. And apart from this, we can behold him in his goodness. And we behold him in his goodness. Uh, he helps us to realize that he is the one that we depend on in our very lives. And isn't that what faith is? Depending on him for every single thing, right? That's what faith is. Not only do we see God provide for his people, and not only do we see God provide for the animals, but we see in his goodness God provides for the unbelieving reprobate. Now, this is crazy right here, y'all. This is crazy. Because Psalm 145, verse 16 says this, that the Lord opens up his hands and satisfies the desires of every living thing. I notice that every living thing. This, sat, this satisfying, he, just, he, like he satisfied the desires of every living thing, and this is known to many as what they call common grace, right? You know, Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount as well. Jesus says this, right? Jesus says, when speaking about the genuine love and goodness that we, have towards, that we should have towards our enemies, Jesus' reason for uh, doing this is so that we may be sons and daughters of our Father who is in heaven. But then he qualifies that. He adds to it, right? He says this. Jesus qualifies it even more by saying that the Father makes the Son shine on the just, and he also makes it uh, rise on the evil and good, and he makes his reign on the just and the unjust. And this is amazing right here, because in his common grace, God allows and permits unbelievers to get married. He allows and permits unbelievers to have families. He allows them to get educated. He allows them to have good jobs and even grow in that job. In his common grace, he allows and permits unbelievers to travel and see the world, even though they don't believe he made it, right? You know, um, uh, he allows and all unbelievers to be, he allows some certain unbelievers to be successful, uh, have nice cars, uh, banging houses, all that, right? Travel to space just for fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the unbelievers love to do that for some reason. I don't know. They love going to space uh, and have high positions in government and uh, entertainment, God allows this. His common grace and goodness towards unbelievers are amazing because he doesn't withhold his goodness from them. See, sometimes it even looks like the unbeliever is doing better than the believer, right? You know, sometimes it looks like that. This is exactly what Asaph noticed in Psalm 73. This is exactly what Jeremiah noticed in Jeremiah chapter 12. And if we're not careful, we could stumble in envying and being jealous of the unbeliever. We could do that. And we could, we could do that 
by looking at, like, God, why are you good to them? Especially when we scroll through social media, right, wishing that we were on that trip with them. So, see, Asaph even starts the psalm off saying, truly God is good to Israel. That's what he says in Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel. And as you read through it, he uh, helps us understand how God was good to Israel, but he's, he's, he's stumbling through this. He says, but as for me, my foot almost stumbled. You know, my steps had nearly slipped. Why? Why is that the case? Well, he says that he was envious of the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. I know I felt like that. And there's times if you want to keep it real, you felt like that too when you look at the unbeliever and you're like, yo, like, why are they killing it? Why are they balling? And I'm struggling. You know? And you got to pray for me because I have this envy monster that just wants to rise, his heart, rise up in my heart and show, show himself off sometimes. Pray for me, right? Because, like, the, when that envy monster comes up, when I see the unbeliever, I want to get, uh, like, like I, I get jealous. So please pray for me because I wanted Jesus to help Kill that sin in my heart. And I'll pray for you the same way because, like I said, we all belong in Anna family. It happens, right? You know, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the envy monster just trying to ruin your day, right? When you see the unbeliever doing something. Like, haven't you ever felt like Psalm 73, verse 4, where it says, for they have no pangs in death. Meaning they're like, yo, like they just seem like they just chilling all the time, doing great, you know? Even when an unbeliever celebrity dies, like when an unbeliever celebrity dies, the world goes upside down for them, right? You know, like they're, 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 uh, they're stopping what they're doing and stuff. You know, they're putting on every single television channel and everything like that. You know, YouTube got it on, all that, right? You can't get away from it, right? You know, and the truth of the matter is this, is that like it seems like in their lives, their, their, their bodies are fat and sleek. You see how they look on TV, how they look in the movies, so many unbelievers appear to have it better than all of us. God's goodness allows for that, though, y'all. It appears as if they are not troubled as, if they are, as what they do because they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. That's what it appears. We're looking at an unbeliever. Uh, you may think this, what Asaph said in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean, you know, and washed my hands of innocent. Have you ever felt like, well, what's the point of me doing good? What's the point of me going to church? What's the point of me doing anything? If these unbelievers are doing, you know, having a ball and I'm struggling, what's the point? You know, and I just want to keep it real with y'all. As a planter, I feel this. As a church planter, I feel this all the time. When I see in Norristown, that Norristown, uh, the county seat of Montgomery County, what they get uh, from the unbeliever sometimes is better than what the church gives to the, to, 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 uh, to the world and, and, and to the area. And it makes me struggle sometimes. And it makes me cry out to God and like ask him, like, Lord, please help us in this effort here. You know, and I need you all to be praying for us, be praying for Christ's Supreme Church uh, in Norristown. See, unbelievers, like, uh, like in the case of Acts 14, 17, when they saw Paul, like trying to, uh, when they saw Paul, hear, hear the word of Paul and, and hear the word of the Lord through Paul and Barnabas, uh, they asked him to perform when he did a miracle and they wanted to sacrifice things to them and stuff, you know. Um, like the reason why they didn't understand that is because they didn't understand the goodness of God, okay. And so God did this in past generations. He let them uh, go off in their ignorance and he allowed them to walk in their own way. Now, notice this, what he says in Acts 14, 17. They don't understand that he did not leave himself without a witness. Now, what is that witness that he left them with? Check this out, y'all. This is amazing. It is that he did good by giving them rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. That's the witness, that he did good to them with the purpose of satisfying their hearts with food and gladness. Now, God, 
and his goodness for the unbeliever wants them to be satisfied. That's amazing. He wants an unbeliever to be satisfied by doing good for them. You know, but think about this. The unbeliever doesn't recognize that. The unbeliever, they don't understand the goodness of God rightly because they spurn his goodness every second of the day. Every time an unbeliever takes a breath without giving thanks to God, every time an unbeliever takes credit for doing something good or giving credit to either an idol or to, a, or, or, or to an image, they spurn the goodness of God. See, every time an unbeliever has a meal, take a job, get a promotion, and does not give glory to God and give thanks to him, they are spurning his goodness. That's what they're doing. And yet and still, he extends his goodness out to them. Now, see, if you and I, if that was us, right, we would be like, nah, man, like, like you cross me once, shame on you, right? But God extends out his hands to them still. And yet and still, why does God do that? Romans 2 helps us. This is going to land here, y'all. Romans 2 helps us because Romans 2 verse 4 tells us this, or do you presume of the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God is kind, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The question assumes that the person doesn't understand the goodness and kindness leads towards repentance. But also in verse 5, this is what he says, but because your hard and impenitent heart, which is a hard heart that would not repent, Paul goes on to say that the heart and impenitent heart is storing up wrath on the day of wrath where God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, this is very amazing because this answers the question to why does God still extend his patient and long-suffering goodness to unbelievers? The purpose is to lead them to repentance. But also, here's another reason. However, unless the Lord moves on the dead heart of an unbeliever, he or she will not turn and be motivated to repentance. Instead, all that good and all the good that things that they received in their life from the hand of God, like the rich man in Luke 16, will bear witness against them. So check it out, y'all. In other words, the blessing and goodness of God in their lives, uh, in their lives will turn to be the wrath that is stored up against them on the day of judgment. So that car, that Tesla, you know what I'm saying, that house, whatever, that, uh, that, that, that they love so much, that's going to be uh, God's witness against them. They're like, you didn't see my goodness in that. He's going to use that very thing to judge them. This is why we need to be on the streets calling out to men, women, boys and girls to tell them that, like, look, that, like, God can forgive you of your sins. Stop spurning his goodness because there comes, there's coming a day where there will be a rude awakening for every single person in this world. See, just like in the days of Jeremiah, just like in the days of Noah, where God was like, yo, I patiently waited for them, and then bam, it came. That day is soon approaching. This is why we need to be out in the streets calling men and women, calling boys and girls to turn from their stiff-necked hearts, to turn to the Lord and repent. See, and this is why we need to do this, because like, that like God in his goodness wants them to not being that. So, there's much more we could say about this, but I just want to end with these things here. You know, in Genesis uh, 50, right? Genesis 50, um, Joseph, his dad dies. Joseph has brothers, and his brothers are like, oh, snap, now dad is gone. Joseph is about to give it to us. But you know what Joseph says to them. He's like, you know, you meant this for evil. God meant this for good. And God could do anything in our lives with all the hardship that we're going through. 
He could use that to discipline us, to help us, to see that he is good in our lives. Also, remember Romans 8, you know, that all things work together for good, that those who are called according to his purpose. And the best way and the greatest way that he demonstrated that goodness is when Jesus not only lived the perfect life for us, but he died to death in our place by making us right with God the Father. That's the best way that he's shown his goodness towards us.